Hey everyone, it is Marcus here, and I want to welcome you back to Hunger, the podcast. And in this season, titled Sacred Scars, Life After Religious Trauma, Candice and I are exploring religious trauma and religious trauma recovery. And I just want to say before we get started today, thank you so much for all the incredible feedback that we got last week. Candice, uh, you, you, you've read some of it. I've, I've read some of it as well. Um, what was your, you know, sort of reaction or response to all of the feedback that we got? Because we got a lot of really incredible feedback. I was a bit surprised um, at the amount myself. I think I'm just really grateful that people have been responding and sharing, you know, what this has meant to them and sharing a bit of their stories. Yeah, I'm just really grateful that um, people feel safe enough to open up and to connect mm. with us. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And those stories, you guys, like, I mean, I've read so many stories just in the last week, people reaching out and sharing their experiences in, in, in religious trauma and their just the different, yeah, stories, right? The different stories that people are, are just being really vulnerable and, and sharing. And man, it's just, it never ceases to amaze me how amazing people are because some of the things that people have been through, it's like, you're still here, you're still strong, you're still you know, you're still in the fight and it's just, I'm always amazed at the resiliency and the beauty of, of people when they share these stories. And it's like, wow, you know, it's just a very sacred experience in a very sacred moment. So thank you for sharing those stories. And by the way, just a little bit of a development from the last episode, uh, we are now officially on Spotify and Apple podcast. So we have a really special request for you guys. If you would please go on, whether it's Spotify or Apple podcast that you listen please like subscribe and leave a comment, a really nice positive comment, right? Like with five stars and all. So um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but jokes aside, um, those actually really, really, really help because when a podcast has a lot of likes and subscribes and a lot of comments, you know, reviews, the algorithm is automatically knows people are really enjoying this. So let's share it with more people. Uh, when it doesn't have likes, subscribes and reviews, then the algorithm just assumes nobody's listening to this podcast. No one really cares for it. So just keep it buried down there somewhere. And there's millions of podcasts, right? So when you like subscribe and leave reviews, it enables us to get seen a lot more and a lot more people who need to hear this will be able to hear it just because you liked, subscribed and left, uh, left a review. So please, you guys, if you have a moment today, like, and subscribe, uh, whether it's on Spotify or Apple podcasts and, and leave an awesome, incredible review that we can read and, uh, and just, you know, it encourages us as well, right, Candice? Like, it's just really nice to, to see what other people are thinking and experiencing as they listen. Uh, so all of that aside, all of that aside, I want to go ahead now and take a moment to introduce the topic for today, which is the top five religious trauma myths. We want to look at these myths and we want to poke at them and we want to deconstruct them and we want to challenge them both from a religious trauma coaching perspective, which is the angle I come at this from, uh, but also from a psychotherapeutic perspective, which is the angle Candice comes at this from. So uh, without further ado, Candice, are you ready to jump into these five myths? Yes, let's do it. Awesome. So here's number one. Religious trauma is always caused by extreme practices like cults. All right. So that's myth number one. Religious trauma is always caused by extreme practices like cults. Now, Candace, when I read this myth, what it basically says to me is that 
in order for a person to have religious trauma, they must have been raised in a really, really bad cult, like a really bad environment, like a cult. If you went to a mainstream church, an evangelical church, a normal church down the street, you won't have religious trauma. This is only for people in really dramatic, really theatrical scenarios. And, and honestly, when I, when I hear that, what it kind of says to me is a myth about trauma altogether that I've heard many times. And that is that trauma only happens to a person if they've been through something really, really extreme. And uh, if you haven't had really extreme events in your life that cause trauma, then you just don't have it, right? Now, this is a myth, and I want to sort of deconstruct this myth. And um, so from a psychotherapeutic perspective, how do, you, how do you speak into this idea that you cannot have religious trauma unless you were raised in a cult? Well, I really like the way Gaba Mate, which I'm not sure if that's how you say his name. Um, so I'm sorry if I'm saying it wrong. Uh, but I really, really like how he defines trauma. And I think we need to start with what trauma is before we go into answering uh, this myth. So Geber defines trauma by saying trauma is not what happens to you. It's what happens inside you as a result of what happens to you. So trauma is not what happens to you. It's what happens inside you as a result of what happens to you. And that is really, really hopeful. And he elaborates on why that is hopeful. And he's basically saying that when we approach trauma as something that has happened to us, then we can't undo that. But if we mm. see trauma as the wound, right, as something that is happening inside and the meaning that we make of that and the impact of that in how we see ourselves and the world around us, then that can be healed, right? So coming back to the question or the statement, trauma is caused by extreme practices. Well, if trauma is what happens inside of us as a result of what happened to us, then that means trauma can also be the result of what didn't happen that needed to happen. Wow. Does that make sense? Well, let me, so, let me try. Yeah, I think so. Let me, let me try and bounce back and see if I'm following you here. So, so what you're saying is that, first of all, that trauma isn't necessarily the thing that happened, the event, which is what happened outside of you. It's, it's, it's a traumatic happens. event. Yep. It is a traumatic event. Okay. The trauma is what is happening inside of inside us of you, as yeah. a result of that traumatic event. That's right. Which, first of all, let me just reiterate what you said earlier. I actually do agree with 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 Gabor, or maybe it's Gabor, um, in in the, in the sense that this is a very hopeful view because if trauma is the event that happened to you, you can't you can't undo the event, right? Like it's not like you can go back in time and make it not happen. It happened, yeah. and and that's kind of unfortunately that's it, it happened, and that's it. Yeah. But if trauma is the wound that you experienced on the inside based on the event, you can tend to that wound. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that and does, so, yeah, yeah. That's 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 much, much more hopeful because it's like, hey, so so essentially what what this saying is even though that happened, 
how do how do I word this? I want to I want to well, you can correct me if I get it wrong, but I, I'm just trying my best to piece it together here. But but even though that thing happened that was traumatic, because I can tend to this wound, what that means is that traumatic event doesn't have to own me for the rest of my life. Is that right. is that kind of yeah? That's what that's what we're getting at here. Um, and so because of that, now transitioning to the second point that you made, what you're saying is because trauma is what happens inside of us, and it's it's not necessarily what happened outside of that's the traumatic event, but the trauma itself will happen inside of us, then that can be caused by many things, right? It exactly. can be caused, yeah. it can be caused by a dramatic event, sure, but it can also be caused, and this is what I hear you saying, it can also be caused by things that should have happened that didn't happen. Is that what you were getting at in your second point? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So So, so so what are some examples of that? Well, it's, so it's not just extreme violations of our being, right? It's also not getting certain needs met or a lack of attunement from somebody important in our lives Mm. or a lack of responsiveness and care, right? Um, Another one, a big one is not being believed especially if these things are ongoing, you know, this also happens not just in church buildings and spiritual spaces, but it also happens in our homes and our schools and our friendship groups. That makes a lot of sense, man. So, so in a sense, what you're pointing to is something that I experienced a lot of the young people that I grew up with in church experience, because we grew up in a as I mentioned last week, you know, very fundamentalist, controlling Latino church on the East Coast of of the States. And one of the things that I realized was that, um, and I didn't know this then, you know, obviously I couldn't process it at this level then. It's only now looking back that I can. But when you uh, attend the church, for example, like the church that we went to, there was a lot of judgmentalism. So every time you went to church, you could pretty much count on somebody giving you the look or somebody judging you or complaining about something that you were doing that wasn't right. And you only belonged, you were only accepted if you fit that script that they expected of you. Now, here's the thing about the script they expected of you. Did you go to sleep crying last night because you're so depressed? Doesn't matter. So long as you showed up with your suit and your tie on, we're happy, right? Mm. So, so what this means is now, now that doesn't equate in, in terms of its drama, for example, to someone who's brought up in a cult where they were physically assaulted while people were trying to cast demons out of them, right? Like, obviously, this is nowhere near as theatrical. But when you are in that environment week after week, year after year, it's like building a wall, right? It's like these small bricks it's just one brick at a time, but eventually you have a tower. And it seems like trauma operates this way. It can certainly be the theatrical and the dramatic. And by the way, let, let me let me pause for a moment just to say I'm not using the words theatrical and dramatic in a cheap way, right? Uh, I understand that those words can can come across that way. I'm not using them in a cheap way. I'm using them to emphasize the 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 bigness sometimes of what happens in certain environments where it's it's very big, right? The trauma is very very intense, and um and so in many mainline evangelical churches that are, for example, not cults, you're not going to have necessarily those big, you know, dramatic events that are taking place that are very they shock your nervous system 
you know, really quickly. But what you will have is a slow, gradual brick upon brick upon brick. And after many years in that environment, you now have this tower of trauma that you have to contend with, even though there wasn't one specific event that was massive, right? It was just little by little over time. And so in that sense, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what I hear you saying is because trauma works this way, these little events that are happening in a person's life over a period of time, it's like, it's like if you have, you know, the first one is like just a little scratch at your soul. But then when you keep getting, someone keeps doing that scratch, you know, after years, you have this giant wound because that's the wound on the inside, right? And it just keeps, it's repetitive, it's perpetual. It just keeps happening and happening and happening. And also just going back to also what you said, what didn't happen. And so like not being believed or not being valued or not feeling like you belong, which are all parts of our natural human development that we need, right? In order to, in order to grow healthy, you know, we need these things. And this is one of the things I've, I've recognized as well is that generally speaking, the more controlling your religious environment is the less authentic connection there is. Right. Because the two yep. can't coexist. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. I think we definitely could talk about this in a whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Well, and it's kind of like I, we said in the last episode too, we're, we're also going to be doing workshops uh, in the future right. where we'll go into yeah. a lot more detail for our podcast. We just want to touch on some of these topics. And by the way, for those who are listening with this particular episode, our, our real goal here is we want you to feel seen, right? We want you to feel seen because a lot of these myths, when you really analyze these myths from a bird's eye perspective, what they do when, when people believe it, when communities believe these myths is it takes away your ability to be seen. If people believe religious trauma can only happen in an environment like a cult, then anyone who's not in a cult is automatically discounted. You can no longer be seen, right? And so with this episode, we just want to touch on some of these lightly with the goal of, of just empowering you and helping you know, like, hey, we see you, we get it. And you know what? Regardless of what anyone else has said, no, you're, you're, not, you're not crazy for thinking, hey, something was off with this environment or this church, et cetera. You're, you're, you're not wrong in thinking that. You're not rebellious in thinking that. These are real experiences and, and they happen to, to a lot of people, you know? So we just want to affirm you and, and really just help you feel seen in that sense. So I'm, I'm ready to move on to number two, um, which is that only certain religions cause trauma. So someone might look at uh, Christianity and say, Christianity is a traumatic religion, you know, but uh, Buddhism is not, or, you know, Judaism is a traumatic religion, but new age is not, you know? So, so this is uh, definitely a myth. And, uh, I'll share some thoughts on, on why I believe this is a myth in a moment, but I'd love to get your thoughts, Candice, uh, from this idea of there's only certain religions that can cause trauma. How, how do you sort of contend with that from your perspective? Well, I think what we really need to be focusing on here is, is the person's autonomy being violated, right? Mm. Uh, any spiritual practice or religion or person that crushes another person's spirit or violates them, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, steals a person's freedom and autonomy or decides their sexuality, right? Or chooses their clothes or exploits them for their resources or forces them to stay in relationships or marriages that are harmful. 
you know, manipulating people with certain doctrines, restricting them from seeking medical help, um, or even steals land and culture in the name of God. Mm. Anything that controls or manipulates or violates the other can cause trauma. And that's irrespective of religion, isn't it? Because I know in my own experience as a religious trauma coach, I have worked with people who were in cults for sure, but I have also worked with people who were members of normal churches. I have worked with people who were in the new age community, which is really weird because we often think of the new age community as this free spirited, you know, everyone can just believe what they want to believe. And it's all about love. And it's kind of like the last place you'd expect trauma to be taking place. But I have had a lot of clients that have been in the new age community and they have a lot of trauma through the experience that they had in new age. And I even had one client that was raised in a completely non-religious environment. She was raised in a communist environment and she still had all of the symptoms of, of religious trauma because, and it's what you mentioned already, it's really has less to do with the religion and more to do with the mood, the culture of control the culture of coercion, wherever a person's agency and autonomy is being repressed or crushed, you are going to see harm. And so you have uh, high control religions within Christianity that cause this. You also have them within Islam. You also have them in Buddhism and Hinduism, right? You've got fanatical Hindus who are like burning down churches and you've got fundamentalist uh, Muslims and fundamentalist Christians. You even have fundamentalist atheists, and you can usually tell because they're very aggressive and they're very angry and they're they're very volatile and sometimes even violent in the way in which in their rhetoric, right, toward toward people of faith. And these are all essentially the same spirit or the same mood, even though the dogma or the belief system might might be different. And and we even saw Jesus contending with this in the Gospels. You know, he's contending with the religious elite. In Jerusalem, who who were causing harm to people, you know, and and Jesus, one of his invitations is even for people to to follow him because his yoke is easy, he said, and his burden is light. And I don't want to go into all of the theology behind that right now, but basically, he's he's basically telling people if you need a rest, if you need a break, <laughs> you know, follow me because I'm not going to put these heavy burdens on you. And so it doesn't really matter. I mean, obviously you can make the case that some religions might lean more naturally toward harmful practices than others. But at the end of the day, you will find very beautiful atheists, very beautiful Muslims, very beautiful Buddhists, beautiful Christians, and you will also find very harmful people in each of those. And it really boils down to whether or not they are embracing a, a faith expression that is controlling and coercive. And it right. doesn't really matter. You know, you could be part of a political group. It has nothing to do with religion or spirituality. And that political group is coercive and controlling and manipulative and does shady things to keep people in power. And, um, you know, some people listening might think, hey, that sounds like every political group. But, you know, <laughs> um, I think the point I'm trying to get at is, is really fundamentally, as you said, really boils down to is your agency being repressed. And this is what I often tell people. And, and you tell me what you think about this, Candice, but I often tell people, he, this is the key difference between a faith that is healthy and a faith that is damaging. This is the key difference. A healthy faith will empower your individuality and your agency. It will empower it. A harmful faith will repress 
your individuality and your agency. That is hands down from my observation, the key difference between the two empowerment or repression control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's also important to recognize that it is not up to us to decide whether somebody's experience of trauma or pain or suffering is valid. Mm. We can't decide whether or not what they went through was bad, um, depending on what religion they come from or background. If they are wounded and they're hurting, then our job is to be a compassionate witness. Mm. That's our only job, not to say, this religion doesn't do that. This religion wouldn't do that, you know, to argue with somebody. We need to be a compassionate witness to that person and their experience. And that's all that matters. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And we're going to touch on this a little bit more in point four, the myth number four. But I think it's worth pointing out right now as well, because we have an episode coming up on the religious phrases that tend to get abused, particularly within church cult contexts. And um, I, I think it's probably a good point to just bring up at least one of them before I go to myth number three. And and this is, you know, and I know a lot of times people mean really well, but when someone has been through religious trauma and our response is, oh yeah, but you know, people are imperfect and that's just people, that's not Jesus, that's not God. Now, in a technical sense, that's true. But when a person is sharing and being vulnerable about their religious trauma story, that's one of the worst things to say, because you are, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You, you are devaluing the story that they're bringing to the table. You know, you're saying, oh yeah, all that might be true, but it really doesn't matter because, you know, and, and so you may probably mean well with phrases like that. And, and this is why we're going to have a whole episode on these phrases, because there's a lot of things that we tend to say within the church thinking we're helping and we're actually causing more harm. And I'm just bringing that up because being a compassionate witness and just listening, you know, just listening and just holding space for people is really, really, really essential. So I'm going to move on to point number three. Everyone experiences religious trauma in the same way. So this is myth number three. Everyone experiences religious trauma in the same way. And and I'll give you an example of, of this one so that, you know, we have a little bit of a meat to the bones here. Um, I've heard this before where people will say, well, you know, I was raised in a church that had some harmful things going on, but I'm fine. And because I'm fine, you should be too. Right. So this is an example of someone is suggesting that because their religious experience was like yours, but they're okay, that you are not justified in being hurt or someone who will come up to you and say, Hey, I go to the same church you do and I'm fine, you know? Or, hey, I, you know, people have been mean to me, or I've heard this, or I've heard that, but I'm still here, so you should be too. It, it's Again, it's a devaluing of the other person's experience, but it's fundamentally assuming that everyone experiences and responds to these experiences the same way. How would you relate to this? Well, I think it's impossible for everybody to experience trauma in the same way. You have to think about all the variables that are involved in why somebody responds to a traumatic event in the way that they do, right? And some of those might be, how did their body respond in that moment? And was there immediate care for them? Or did the care come many years later? Or what age did it happen? What happened? You know, there's so many factors involved in why somebody experiences trauma differently to the next person, right? Mm -hmm. So it cannot all be the same. 
Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And I and I think a big part of it as well is your background. You know, like the exactly way your background, the- your bringing. You know, there's things that we talk about in psychotherapy called attachment, right? So you know, when you're an infant and you're connecting with a parent, a significant person. Um, and they're responsive to you and they're attuned to you and they're caring for you. You build this safe attachment and that enables you to go out there into the world and take risk, right? To, mm. to, to If you get hurt a little, you can come back to your safe base. You know you have somebody there and that builds your what they call your window of tolerance right it builds your resiliency Mm. and so you can respond to stress you can respond to overwhelm you can you can respond to distressing events in certain ways whereas people who don't have that kind of early childhood experience it's it can be more difficult for them you know later in life when they go through challenges or Um, distress or even traumatic events, you know, like car accidents, war, you see all these different traumatic experiences impact people differently. Mm. And like I said, there's so many variables. That's just. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, there's genetic variables as well, your temperament. Um, There's a lot, there's a lot. So hundred percent, like, you know, telling someone that because I've responded to trauma this way, Therefore, you should respond the same way. Just isn't true. And so if if anyone listening to this have has ever experienced someone trying to belittle your experience with religious trauma uh, because they went through something similar and they're fine, I just I just want you to know that that person who attempted to belittle your experience is actually dead wrong according to science, right? <laughs> like you are a unique individual with a unique set of parameters, circumstances, environment, et cetera, et cetera. And we are not all going to respond to the same thing in the same way. So that's, that's really, uh, it's a really important thing to know. Number four, this is the fourth myth of religious trauma. And it, oh man, this one really ticks me off. <laughs> um, and it, it, this is it. All right. So number four myth of religious trauma. If you have real faith, you won't have religious trauma. And uh, yeah, that one really takes me off for a number of reasons. <laughs> um, yeah, I would love to get your thoughts on it. I, I've got some thoughts too, but w- what do you think? Yeah. Well, you know, I am immediately bothered by this myth as well. We're triggered, y'all. We're triggered. Yes. (laughs) I'm sure many people out there are too. And I could tackle this from many angles as well. But right now, I think what I would like to focus on is what happened to the person who is saying this, right? It's a very disembodied and disconnected response. It's, it's a very colonized view of how we see another person and their experience. So, yeah, I think when you, when you look at a person and what they're going through and you say, if you have faith, you won't experience this or that, then what you're doing is you're seeing this person out of context from their environment, their intergenerational history, their relationships, even their own spirituality, right? Mm-hmm. You're not seeing the whole person. You're dismissing the person. And then on top of that, you're deciding for yourself and the other person what is real, what Mm. is real for them. And whenever anyone decides what is real for us, you know, taking away our autonomy, our individuality, our sense of self, our experience, 
that is spiritual abuse. Yeah, and I think it's, it's, yeah. it's good that you brought that up because a lot of times I've heard this myth, it comes out in different ways. And some of the ways it comes out in is if you have enough faith, you won't experience religious trauma. Another way I've heard it is, you know, true Christians don't struggle with this. This is only people who aren't really Christians, you know, people who come to church, but they're looking for something to complain about. And then the, perhaps the most extreme version of this myth that I've heard is just the flat out religious trauma isn't real, right? And you're right, man. Like the moment someone determines for you what reality is, what your reality is, uh, that you're dealing with someone who has crossed a really, really, really big line. And, and that is fundamentally what abuse is, right? It's like, particularly when we look at, at gaslighting. And by the way, our next episode, you guys, is all on spiritual gaslighting. So we're only touching on this now, but our next episode, we're going to talk about spiritual gaslighting. And we're going to look at things like gaslighting, narcissism, et cetera, and like what this looks like in a religious context so that we can you know, build some resilience against these things. But I would say that, uh, just, just to close this thought for now, that yeah, the moment someone is telling you, no, this is what your reality is, religious trauma isn't real, um, or uh, your faith isn't real, because if it was real, you wouldn't have religious trauma, or you're not really a Christian, because if you were, you wouldn't struggle with this. When I was growing up, I remember it was probably about 14 or 15. I watched a, a special on news, on the news. And it was a special a report on a cult in South America somewhere. I don't remember where. But one of the key features of this cult was that the members believed, and really the leaders taught, that if you had real faith, you would never see a doctor. That God had only put doctors on earth for people who didn't have faith. And so if you really had faith, you would never see a doctor. Do you have cancer? Just pray. Do you have diabetes? Just trust and believe, right? Do you have any kind of disease? Just cast it out in the name of Jesus with faith. And if you have faith, you will be well. Don't go to a doctor. The reason why they did a special report on this particular cult is because a lot of people died, right? There was a lot of people who were dying because they weren't getting the proper treatment. Now, the interesting thing about that is that most Christians would look at that and say, that's ridiculous. You know, if you break an arm, go get a cast. If you have cancer, go get the proper treatment. If you have diabetes, you know, again, do the proper treatment. Like, there's no reason why we shouldn't. And most Christians would agree with that. But when it comes to issues of the mind, all of a sudden we change our mind. You know, we change our perspective. It's like when it comes to the mind, uh, yeah, you just need enough faith. You just need to believe. You just need to pray. If I break my arm, I can go get a cast. But if my brain is out of whack, if, you know, whether it's chemical imbalance or whatever it might be, no, no, no. You, for that, you just have to pray and believe. And I used to believe that, you know, like uh, probably not as strongly as other people have, but there were times in my life where I was having extreme difficulty and I would just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and, pray and things wouldn't get better. And then I'm getting mad at God because they're not getting better. And, you know, it, it would be the equivalent of me breaking my arm and praying and praying and praying, and then getting mad at God that my bone isn't healing properly. You know, it's like, just because we're dealing with the mind or the brain uh, doesn't mean that we get to chuck common sense out the door. You know, there are resources, particularly nowadays that are available for us to improve, to heal, to do better. And, uh, and, and it's okay to reach out and tap into those resources. And so when people have this rhetoric or this narrative around like, oh, if you just have enough faith, you won't have trauma. Like trauma is a very complex phenomenon. And, uh, 
you know, sometimes you need to get help. And that's the bottom line. It doesn't mean you don't have faith. It doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It doesn't mean you're a weak Christian. And for the love of God, man, if somebody ever tells you religious trauma isn't real, you're making this stuff up. That is a, that is a giant red flag, really big red flag. Never allow anyone to define what reality is for you. That's, that's a, yeah. And we've, we've, I think we've, we've made that point quite strongly already. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I'm yeah ready to go on to number five, if you are. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to quickly jump in and say a thousand percent agree with everything you just said. All right. So here's point number five. Uh, This is the fifth and final myth for today. Once you leave religion, the religious trauma disappears. Again, let me just repeat that again. Myth number five, once you leave religion, the religious trauma disappears. Now, how nice would it be if it was that simple? Uh, it is not that simple, you guys. Uh, just, just a, just a, you know, quick story here, Candice. Um, I, I actually had a conversation recently because uh, I had shared a TikTok on religious trauma recovery, and a guy commented and said, you know, um, this is why you should chuck religion in the bin, you know, and uh, and I wrote him back and I said essentially what I've said for many years is that if you walk away from religion, it could prevent further harm, sure, but it's not going to heal the harm that's already been caused. In order to heal the harm that's already been caused, you need to process that harm in a safe environment. Simply leaving religion doesn't mean religious trauma is going to disappear. And I think this is one of the reasons why you will sometimes meet people who used to be in church, uh, who maybe who used to be believers, maybe they're atheists now, and they're angry and they're very vitriolic, and they're very aggressive in their anti-church or anti-Christianity. And I'm not saying that to berate them or to knock them down. I'm saying that because, of course, they would be angry, because there's unprocessed trauma still. They may no longer believe, but that doesn't heal the trauma that's already taken place. That doesn't heal the wounds that have already taken place. In order to heal that, there has to be a process where you hold space for those things and you process them gently and slowly in a safe environment. And, um, and unfortunately that doesn't happen just because you uh, left religion, you know? Um, but anyways, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on this, Candace? Yeah, there's absolutely no way the trauma can just magically disappear because you've left uh, a religion. Um, as we know, trauma is a body experience. It's a felt experience, right? It lives in the body. And so even though you may have moved on uh, consciously, your body still remembers. It still holds on to that experience, mm-hmm. the sensory experience of that trauma, you know, the sensory impact. And that creates uh, what we call implicit memory. And this memory impacts how you make sense of the world, you know, how you make sense of yourself and other people. And so what happens with trauma is you become separated from yourself. You start to mistrust yourself. And Gaber once again talks about this, you know, there's a separation from other people where you start to isolate yourself, become disconnected from others, and you can't trust other people. Um, Your worldview becomes altered you know, everything in the world becomes hostile and dangerous. And then there's that lifelong pain that Gabriel also talks about where we have to deal with that wound, 
you know, otherwise we just keep living in pain. It, mm. it also impacts brain development, feeling ashamed of ourselves. And we also become very stuck in the past. You know, we react to the present moment as though we're still living in the past. So there is, there is a process that has to take place yeah, to, yeah. to heal from this trauma. Um, removing yourself from environments that are harmful is very important. It's a very important step that people have to take. It doesn't solve everything. You know, there's still the pain, the wound. We have to to heal. Absolutely. And I think one important point to mention here as well is that the reason, and you've already said this, but I just want to reiterate it. The reason why trauma doesn't disappear just because you left a religion is because particularly in Western context, religion tends to be almost purely cognitive experience, right? It's all about certain dogmas and doctrines and belief systems and, and philosophies and theologies, et cetera, right? It's a very cognitive experience. And, but trauma is not a purely cognitive experience. And so if I leave religion then, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that might prevent further harm from taking place. If I abandon toxic beliefs, that might prevent further harm from taking place. But just because I don't believe those things cognitively anymore doesn't mean that the rest of my body isn't still hurt by the trauma that I've already experienced. So in a sense, this myth is comes from a colonized perspective as well, where we reduce the complexity of the human to the cognitive, right, to the rational and if like, hey, if you just change those thoughts and those beliefs, then the pain will go away. Uh, but we are much more complex than that. And as you said, trauma lives in the body. And so it has to be processed and healed uh, beyond the cognitive layers if we're actually going to reclaim our lives and our stories and move forward in a way that makes the world a better place and that heals the environments that we step into. And, uh, and that's really, really key. So yeah, those are the five myths of religious trauma. And like I said earlier, our objective with this episode wasn't to go super in-depth and scholarly into each of these. We really want you guys as listeners to be able to tune in and to feel seen and heard and to recognize that, you know what, uh, your religious trauma story is valid, right? It's valid. It doesn't matter if you were in a cult or not. Your religious trauma story is valid. It doesn't matter what religion you came from or maybe from no religion. It's still a valid story. Uh, and it doesn't matter if other people around you are saying, well, we're doing fine. Why aren't you? Your story is still valid. And it doesn't matter if people are running around saying religious trauma isn't real. Your story is valid. And it does not mean that you lack faith. It does not mean that you're a bad Christian. And we really, really hope regardless of what path you take in life, whether it's a path of reconstruction for your faith or whether it's a path that takes you in a different direction altogether away from religion, that you take the time to nurture yourself, to tend to those wounds and to heal. And uh, that's one of the things that we really, really want to encourage with hunger is that journey, that process, that holding space for, for yourself and holding space for one another. In, in fact, Candice, I think I'll end with this thought that I believe 100% that 70% of the healing journey when it comes to religious trauma is to find a space where you can be heard without judgment. And this is the reason why I believe that, 
one of the clients that I had, uh, she went through a process that I lead called the, the perception realignment process, which is about 10 steps. And she paid for the whole thing up front. And we're going through the process. We were only on the second step of the process. And she says to me, I feel like just from, yes, just from the first one and this second step, I feel like I've already got my money's worth. And I remember sitting back and just being really amazed by that and really thankful that she was getting so much out of it. But when I sat back and thought about it, you know, I realized those first two layers, we were certainly doing some exercises, but most of what I was doing was just listening mm -hmm. and affirming mm -hmm. in a judgment-free, non-anxious presence. And that was enough, man. That was enough. And I realized at that moment, you know what, like 70% of this journey is just being heard. It was the first time in her life she could share this story without somebody coming up and saying, oh yeah, but you know, here are all the reasons why you're wrong. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Or here are all the reasons why you shouldn't think about it that way. You should think about it this way. No, none of that. It was just holding space. And you know, not everyone's going to be a coach. Not everyone's going to be a therapist. Not everyone's going to be a psychologist, but everyone can learn to hold space for one another. Right. And Absolutely. if we do that, we'll see a lot more healing taking place in our communities than we currently see. So those are my closing thoughts. That's it. I'm ending on that note. That's a cool note mm -hmm. to end on. What do you think, Candice? Very cool. Love it. Absolutely right. agree. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you guys for tuning in. Please like and subscribe, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and also tune in next week. We're going to be exploring spiritual gaslighting, and that is going to be a really profound episode. But thank you for tuning in again, and we will catch you next week.